Well, thanks. I, uh, I, I'd love to be with uh, David right now, but I'm also really glad to be here with you. And I bring greetings uh, from the mothership, I guess is what we call it. I'm at uh, TFCA now, which I'm really uh, excited for, and I'm, uh, again, grateful to be, um, to be here sharing God's word with you. So as, as Peter mentioned, uh, I live in China, North, it's Central Asia, the China part of Central Asia for, for 12 years. And the, the, Ch the Chinese people are immensely practical. So let me give you an example. When you buy, uh, when you, when you buy flour, different than here, we buy flour, it's kind of packed in a brick, I guess, so it fits on a pallet or something, right? So you open it up and then you make a big mess every time. Well, the Chinese people, they need to haul their, their flour sometimes up six flights of stairs. So it's in a large bag, it's got a handle, kind of tied together with a, a, a thread. And when you want to get into your flour, if you untie the thread just right, you can kind of pull it and it goes pop, 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 pop as it goes across. It makes a really satisfying sound. The whole feeling is really satisfying. So what I'm going to try to do today is take our lectionary. This is my second now Anglican sermon. We're going to go through several passages, a little kind of a thread of content that is, is kind of going through all three of these passages. And that thread is a promise, a promise from God, a very audacious one that is eternal and global. And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to talk about what the promise is. Uh, I'm going to encourage us in a couple of ways how to respond internally and then how to respond externally, but not necessarily in that order. Uh, let's start with Isaiah 49. <clears throat> you can turn with me, or I guess it's in your leaflet too, right? So I want to focus on verse 6. And again, in, in context, this is 800 years before Jesus. This is a very small, oppressed minority people, um, actually a very a somewhat diverse people, even linguistically, but that's getting into the weeds a bit. But it is not that different than the church here in the U.S. A small group, somewhat scattered, kind of living around a larger culture and, and people that are not exactly sharing the same worldview. So this is Isaiah 49, verse 6. He says, God says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So I focus on a couple of things. This, this light idea is really powerful and consistent throughout the Bible. It communicates hope and meaning, goodness, justice, truth, peace. But that for the nations is a pretty powerful idea. And when you see nations in the Bible, actually both in the, the Old and the New Testament, don't think of geopolitical states like the Gambia or New Zealand or Afghanistan. It really is, can be better translated as like a people group. It is a, a common ethnic group, a common language through which the people have a, a common understanding. And so it's not so much a nation state. So here in the U.S., it's, it's actually kind of fuzzy here for the U.S. We're kind of like an ethnic group, but we have people, ethnic groups from all over the world and some indigenous here. So it is a, a bit of a challenge. But don't think of this when you see nations or even countries in the Bible. Think of it as like ethnic groups. And that's, this, this verse is actually on our uh, website for, for, for the nations because we're running daily classes, ESL, English classes, with childcare, and we're also providing 
uh, a lot of practical helps. But at its root, we want to be part of seeing this light, this hope and goodness from God go to the nations. So this promise that God makes, of kind of pulling on that string, it's global, but it's also very eternal. So let's look to Acts, how this, see how this plays out in Acts 1. So Acts 1 is an interaction, interaction between the disciples and Jesus. And in context, this is three plus years after, the, the, so the disciples have been with Jesus for three plus years. He, they've seen him perform miracles, They've seen his teaching, they've seen him predict his death, they've seen him die brutally on the cross, and they've seen him rise from the dead. And here is what they want to ask him. This is Acts 1, verse 6. So when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's, it is kind of striking that that was their question. Of all the things you're going to ask, I'm sure they asked him a lot of other things, but this is what, what Luke records, that they're going to ask are you going to give us this kind of geopolitical entity that we were hoping for? And, and you would think almost that Jesus was like, well, no, absolutely not. You know, stop being stupid. I have, I have something else. But he doesn't. And here's what he says. He said to them, this is verse 7, it is not for you to know times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So he kind of says no, but not nearly as strong as you might think. Um, he doesn't really contradict them. But he gives them something better. I guess he's implying that, that in some way what they're hoping for is going to be fulfilled, but not yet. But he has something better for them. And here's the better. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. So this is a really important connection, this witness with the Holy Spirit power. We're going to talk about, I want to offer some hopeful, practical ideas about how to witness. But whatever witnessing is, and however, when you do it, it's, you, you're not alone when it happens. And it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing for a lot of Christians to spend time with those who don't know Jesus, spend time with people that maybe um, would, would mock us or think we're you know, stupid or bad or, or whatever. But whatever happens in a witnessing environment, God, Holy Spirit's power is with us. God is with us. So we should never forget that. And as you get into this more and more, you, you, and for those of you have, that have been part of this and spending a lot of time with, with non-believers, you will, you will see this and you'll feel this, that, you know, I'm not alone in this, and there is power. And even as I bumble and even as I make mistakes, uh, God is still there. But I want to comment a little bit on this witness idea in terms of content, because in the next chapter, and if this, if this was a, uh, I kind of come from some Lutheran roots and uh, been a Presbyterian for a long, long time, and now I'm Anglican, and I really enjoy it. If this was a Presbyterian sermon, I would walk through uh, Acts to Peter's sermon. But we won't do that, but I would commend you to, uh, to, to take time and um, read through Peter's sermon and look for some key themes, and I'm going to just point out a few of them. So Peter is witnessing right after this. He's applying what Jesus has told him to do. He talks not so much about his story. I mean, you can, and he does, and Paul does later too, and I think it's, it is good for us to tell about how God has impacted our lives. But that's not the core of what witnessing is. The core of what witnessing is is talking about Jesus. So Peter talks about Jesus' miracles, and he boldly addresses the sin in his hearers. This is a hard thing to do in witnessing. But in Peter's case, he's saying, you have crucified the Lord of hope. You have crucified the Messiah. And then he focuses on, but he was resurrected from the dead, 
And now, because of his death, there is a way for you to have peace with God in the midst of your rebellion. And so salvation is not just saving from some nebulous danger, or even saving from political danger. It is saving from the greatest danger, which is a broken relationship with our Creator. And I want to stop and pause because the thing I... I love about the Anglican service, and this one in particular, is we're going to have a chance to respond to this internally in a very powerful way. Because sometimes we can be like those disciples, can't we? We can ask what we can do what we want and ask God for what we want instead of stop and consider and listen to what he might want. And this, is going to, this has applications in every area of our lives. And the way we, of course, say it in our prayer is, where am I following the devices and desires of our own, my own hearts? And so that's a question that we all need to ask. And the application for us, is, as, we, as we come to the table later, we're going to have an opportunity to confess our sins corporately and even individually. And so being a witness is embracing Christ every day, is embracing that I need to repent and I need to turn. And we get to do that this morning. And so that's kind of the internal, but... For the, the remainder of this sermon, I'd like to talk to you a bit about like, an ex, how can we apply this in external witness. And so for the external witness, I'm going to kind of continue with uh, verse 8. So Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so I'm kind of breaking this up into kind of three clumps. The, the first is... Uh, Judea, in their context, this would be the Jewish culture. This would be people who they speak the same language, they have the same worldview, they, they worship the same God, this, kind, of, kind of like what's, what's going on here with the church. The Samaria is same language, but a very different worldview. A little bit farther geographically, although kind of sandwiched, you know, because you have Galilee in the north, and then Judea in the south, and Samaria's in the middle. And, but these were people, these were the, the half-breeds, if you will. These were the people that spoke the same language as the, the Jews, but they, they didn't have that same worldview. And then, of course, the ends of the earth, kind of places like, you know, where, where Rector David is now. And the first thing I want to say this when he talked about ends of the earth, and so this is where you invite a missionary to speak, and this is what you're going to get. I put the missionary hat on. If the Lord is pulling on your heart to be part of reaching the unreached, wherever that might be geographically, please come and talk to me, especially if you are college age or younger and you have brains that can learn languages quickly, because when you get to be my age, it is really hard to learn languages. But if the Lord is working in that way, I would love to talk to you. I'll be out back. Second thing, but, but for, the, for, the, for the rest of us, in our city, it is, there's a, re, a really cool thing happens in that all three of those kind of geographic, geographical things get lumped together. Like, we've, obviously, we've got the church here. We're a small, little minority, sometimes a marginalized. It's actually really good for us, I think, to be in that place. And so it's this fun to have. I give this sermon in, or, or talk about this in a place like North Dakota, where I'm from, and people are all like, Oh, it's so terrible, all this, you know, people are not Christians anymore, and we're losing our culture, and blah, blah, blah. But here, like, like we know we're a minority. Most of our neighbors don't follow Jesus. This is a good thing, a healthy thing for the church. It kind of forces us to know what we believe and why we believe it. So we have that Judea. Because we live in kind of surrounded by a lot of, you can almost think of Samaritan-type people, people who speak the same language. We have the same culture. We're all going to be watching the Super Bowl and talking about the commercials and maybe the game, right? But... These are, 
most of our neighbors don't know Jesus. So we're, we're around this, these people who we speak the same language, totally different uh, worldview. But also the ends of the earth. They are coming to our city. They're coming to live in our neighborhoods, to live in apartment buildings within a stone's throw of our houses, and they want to learn our language, and they want to integrate into our culture. And this is an amazing, amazing opportunity that we have. And so the, I've looked at what the, we've looked at what the premise is. It's eternal salvation with a global scope. We're called to be witnesses of what Jesus did, relying on his strength for it, knowing that we're not alone, that Holy Spirit is with us. And the last passage in Matthew, I want to talk about how we can apply that in a couple of practical ways. So let's go to Matthew 9. So first application is um, to pray. Please pray. Please pray with me. There is a, for the nations, before every class, we gather for prayer and Almost every day we're praying some combination of these three things. One is that we would pray for boldness, kind of a winsome boldness for us. Most, we, we serve about 150 or so families across, the, across Northern Virginia. The vast majority are Muslim. We pray that we would be bold yet winsome. It's really hard to do. Wise as sneaks, innocent as doves. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard thing. The second thing we pray for is that God would open hearts to the gospel. Because anybody, anybody, anywhere from whatever culture or background, if you're going to come to faith, it is God that's going to open your heart. But the third one is right here in Matthew. Matthew 9, 37. When he, Jesus said to the disciples, he's looking out over people and he, uh, who are lost and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Right? He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. So this is a prayer for us. This is a prayer, this is a prayer for your rector as he's in Africa. And I'm sure Gitachu is praying the same thing. But pray that the Lord would send more laborers into his harvest. And I'm, what I'm not talking about here is necessarily people to give up their jobs and go to, to be a, a missions. Being, being in missions, being a witness is, is much deeper than that. And it really is integrated with the, the lives that we live. And so that brings us to the second um, application. I encourage you to pray, but I also encourage you to engage in this. To, to, and, and that's a risky thing to say to very, very busy people in, in Washington, D.C. But I want to just encourage us all to, to think about this in terms of our social networks. It's kind of, maybe it's massive. It's bigger than you think you can handle. It's got all these people connected to work and our neighbors and our hobbies and our kids' activities, and some in church, and sometimes it's just huge and overwhelming, and some of us will need to maybe think through, where, where do I kind of shave off and tighten this so that I might have some bandwidth for, for more things? But um, the, if we can think about bringing unreached immigrant peoples, and when I say unreached, I mean, this is a, this is a missions term. It means people who, not that they don't believe in Jesus. There's lots of people out there. But it's people that don't really even know who he is. People that maybe have never met a Christian. People who don't even know that the Bible is available in their language. And maybe don't even know a whole lot of true things about Jesus. And what they do might be entirely twisted. And I'm speaking about the people that I spend time with on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and actually some of you, oh, Hillary's here. Hillary's not here. Anyway, she teaches with us. She'll, she'll, she'll tell you the same thing. But as you think about, um, where was I at? See, I'm going off notes here. Um, 
So let's think about how can we pull people into these networks, like unreached peoples, that's where I was at, unreached peoples, peoples that don't have access to the gospel. And I bet some of you have coworkers that are from a Muslim background or a Hindu background. I bet some of you have neighbors that are that way. Or if your kids are involved in sports, I'm, especially if they're involved in soccer, I guarantee you you're running into the people, probably some Afghans who are, who are trying to play soccer. And so are there ways to open up that web a little bit to kind of pull those people in? Something we're already doing, something we're, that's kind of already part of our lives, and just draw them into American life and draw them into our lives because they want to be drawn into American lives, an American life. All of the immigrants that we spend time with, of course, we spend time with the ones that are trying to learn English, but they want to be part of this multicultural, flawed, but quite frankly, in the grand scheme of around the world, a really great place to live. They want to be part of it. So how can we open up our webs just a little bit to, to bring them in with the hope of blessing them and, and bringing them to Christ? And one of the very practical ways that I would encourage you, a couple things. Ask a lot of questions. Ask about family. Ask about what job they did when they were in their home countries. This is going to be very humbling. You're going to meet people who are doctors and dentists and high-level officials who are driving Uber and who are working as janitors and stuff like that. But find, if, find out if there are things, find out what they like, find out what their kids do, find out if there's common, common interests. And if you can, invite them to dinner. Invite them to your house. There's going to be dietary issues, but honestly, find out where they're from and go find the local ethnic restaurant that serves that food, and you can walk, this is fun, I've done this, walk in there, I'm like, yeah, I've got X number of people from your, you know, from your country that are coming to my house for dinner, I don't really know what to cook them, so I'm ordering food from your restaurant, can you help me? They would love it, the restaurant owners would think that would make their day. And let's not forget to do this in community, this is a very important thing, so if you have a close friend or someone in your, your small group to do this with, it, it really helps a lot to, to, to engage with this in community. And finally, this last specific thing. This is an idea as I talked to uh, David and Peter about this. Um, how could this church, because literally we have, our largest site is on the other side of, uh, formerly T.C. Williams, Alexandria High School at uh, First Baptist. So it's about half mile walk to a bus stop, three bus stops or two bus stops, I think, and they're there. And I'm wondering, they do classes Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at end about 11.30. You guys are worshiping together on Wednesdays at 12, right? Wednesday, every Wednesdays. What, what, if we open, what if the church is opened up for lunch, conversation practice in English, kid play date? We're going to try it once. If you'd like to try, March 15th. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. So with all of that, if you've kind of got lost where, where this is going, the thread that I'm pulling here is that God makes an audacious promise to us in Christ. The promise is global promises eternal, and he invites us to participate in prayer and active witness, trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the heart that you've given them for your work around the world. I'm thankful that we can celebrate that and encourage that today, and I pray that you would equip us to love you and serve you among those with the least access to the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.